1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am jazzed for today's fifth episode of Our Voices. This monthly feature is intended to give you an inside view of my guest's life journey and what shaped who they are today. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that levels the playing field and helps everyone live to their full potential. I invite you to listen with curiosity and without judgment and gain empathetic understanding of people you might not otherwise encounter. I hope you'll gain a deeper appreciation for the widely differing experiences, of what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. And perhaps in unexpected ways, you'll also see a bit of yourself in these journeys and embrace that we're more similar than not. My guest today is Jaya Thomas, who I'm so impressed has followed her true north and charted a path of impact and meaning. Her hats are many. She's a sports and entertainment attorney, entrepreneur, producer, professor, and board member. Her roots are in Cincinnati, Ohio, and as I understand, her family is pining for her to move from Los Angeles to be even a bit closer so they get a glimpse of her more often. Jaya, I'm excited to learn about your path from the Midwest to film and TV in the City of Angels. Grateful you're joining me on this Our Voices episode of Say It Skillfully. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation.
1: I am as well. I'm so keen for listeners to get to know you. Uh, As we've chatted, um, I do appreciate sharing some of the tough times you've gotten through. You know, you have this very glam bio. We all know achieving what you have hasn't been a straight path in the park. Um, And I'll just hand it over to you.
2: Awesome. Um, So, yeah, correct. It definitely has not been a glamorous journey uh, throughout So I have been in Los Angeles for several years now, working as a sports and entertainment lawyer, slash professor, slash entrepreneur, but my journey to get here definitely was not easy. Um, I moved out here from New York City, and when I initially moved here, uh, I did not know anybody in LA, I did not move out here with a job, I didn't move out here with a car, and I got my apartment off Craigslist. Luckily, it turned out okay, and... It wasn't crazy, but it was definitely a difficult journey, just moving from one coast to the other and not really having any type of foundation here and really building a new life from the ground up, literally from scratch, was difficult. So that entire transition was a hard transition. And then even starting my own company, my own law practice, was a difficult transition as well. Um, Having on a high school, undergrad, law school, Throughout all of these years of education, I never learned how to run a business. I never took a class on what it really means to be an entrepreneur, and I don't even think any of my schooling offered those type of classes. But just learning how to run a business, learning how to run my own practice, was very challenging as well. Made a lot of missteps along the way, and still to this day, sometimes I make missteps. But the whole process of becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a business owner. There are a lot of hurdles to get to where I am today with regards to that journey. And so that's also been a challenge as well.
1: You know, um, before we get back, because the business part is fascinating in and of itself, would you take us back, though, to the little girl growing up? Um, what was it like for you? You know, was it expected you would go to university, go to grad school? You know, just tell us a little bit about the home context for you.
2: Sure. So as you mentioned, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, both of my parents are transplants. So we didn't have any other family in Cincinnati or even in the state of Ohio. So it was a very small family unit. Um, just me my, me, my parents and my younger brother. And both of my parents are professionals. My dad is an entrepreneur and my mom, she's retired now, but she has a background in therapy and social work. So it was a pretty normal upbringing, had pretty normal Midwest upbringing, uh, great upbringing, had a very happy childhood. And um, yeah, it was always expected that I went to college. And from a young age, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. So that was kind of always stuck in my head since I was probably like nine or ten. When wait, I figured Wait, out what wait a second.
1: How did you know at age nine or ten? That's, <laughs> that's impressive, girl.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I just think being around other, other attorneys and, you know, my, my parents had friends or family friends or people they worked with that were kind of in the space. And just once I, I knew I had always wanted to do something to help people. And so, you know, at a young age, there were only so many jobs that I knew where you could really help people, doctor, lawyer. And so at a young age, I was like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. I want to help people. Um. And once I fully started to understand the different areas of law and what lawyers do in more detail, then I was even more, um, more pressed to, to follow that career path.
1: That's so awesome. Uh, what was it like, and I've shared with listeners, they know I grew up, there was one Chinese family, one black family, and one Korean family. <laughs> I'm wondering what the racial makeup was like for you growing up in Cincinnati.
2: Sure. It's so funny. Um, You know, ever since I left Cincinnati and I lived in these other cities like New York, L.A., D.C., people are always surprised when I say I'm from Cincinnati. I think, A, maybe because they just don't meet a lot of people from Cincinnati or B, you know, I've heard comments before like, oh, there are black people in Cincinnati. And it's so funny to me because Cincinnati is the city that's 48 percent black. Um, It's a very black city. And there are a lot of other cities in Ohio that are similar, like Cleveland. So growing up for me, you know, there weren't a ton of other cultures, Ohio and Cincinnati. It's a very black and white city, black and white state. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a huge population of people that look like me in Cincinnati. So um, cities like, yeah, 48%, 49% black. So my entire upbringing, I was around people who look like me. And that's been a very different experience compared to living in a city like L.A. now where the percentage of black people out here is like 7%. Um, so growing up, I was always around people who look like me and um, had, had an amazing experience growing up there.
1: Who, uh, anyone um, stick out in your mind in your younger years as a mentor or idol or role model?
2: I would say my biggest role models are obviously my parents. Um, always been impressed with what they've been able to accomplish and just who they are as people so i would say my mom and dad are my biggest role models um and then uh, when i was in high school i did intern for a couple of summers with an attorney um, a black attorney who worked in cincinnati who had his own law practice and he specialized in criminal and civil rights law and i always looked up to him as well he let me go to court with him sit in on trials. And one thing that always really stuck out with me with regards to him was that he was never afraid to speak up and speak out on issues that he thought were bothersome, you know, whether it's injustice, unequal treatment. He was always very vocal, never, um, never shy about speaking out. And and that always stuck with me. And, and I was always just so impressed by him.
1: I love that. Do you, um, do you recall, you know, because young people don't know the bias or what have you, but you know, women in business, black in business, did you ever, you remember a first instance when maybe there was something that was uh, a bias against you? Any recollection? In my
2: childhood, not off the top of my head, I do remember a lot of biases against my dad. Um... As I mentioned, he was an entrepreneur. He owned a black radio station in Cincinnati. And well, about 100% of his employees were black. So there were always issues. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times after school, I would spend the evening just hanging out at the radio station. And, you know, there were just always like different incidents I heard of from different people who work there or just different biases that he encountered as a black business owner in the city whether, you know, it was harder for him to get things done as opposed to white radio station owners or white business owners in the city. So I was always aware of it. I can't specifically say I encountered anything as a child, you know, off the top of my head. But just being around him and like all his employees and coworkers, and they had radio shows and talk shows where they constantly talked about issues and biases they were facing in the city. I was always exposed to it. So I always knew it existed. Um, even though I can't say like, oh, I was facing it, you know, constantly myself as a child.
1: Well, I love that. I and mean, that's fantastic. And uh, it's great to have the awareness of it because it is part of of the reality that's out there. Um, and so the, you know, so wanting to be a lawyer, so you're going through college and you're pretty set on the law school. Was that, so I have to, I have to share with you, you know, I could not have gone to law school. I can't stay <laughs> awake and read. I Seriously, for all my attorney friends, I'm like, hats off to you, because I honestly, I don't think I could have done it. So was it a hard thing for you? And, you know, was that process uh, just super straightforward? And I'm, I'm just curious if you lapped it all up, or if that was a time of great struggle.
2: Law school actually wasn't that bad. I mean, it is a ton of reading. Um, but it actually was I can't say it was a horrible experience. I actually had a pretty good time in law school. I made a lot of great friends, and I went to law school in Washington, D.C. Denning is a great city for any young person because there are just so many schools there, so many colleges, and even law schools there. So, you know, I would definitely get my work done during the week, but on the weekends, my friends and I were definitely out exploring the city. So it was a great experience. Um, I can't say I had any... I have really any negative takeaways from
1: it. Well, I'm all the law professors are going, phew, wow, she didn't ding it. So, <laughs> so take us through, cause you, you know, I have to say when we first chatted, you definitely, you know, you kind of slid in after school, but then you really started to find what you wanted to do. And I would love for you to take us through that because I think a lot of folks find themselves in roles, you know, that that served them for a bit, but maybe they're not exactly, it's not really the fit that they want. And I, I, I don't know it's easy for some folks to make the call of what the true north is and then to go do it. So uh, please do share how uh, how you evolved that for yourself.
2: Sure. So after law school, I, as I mentioned, or maybe I didn't, I moved to New York City after I graduated from law school and was practicing there, not really doing anything in the sports or entertainment space at all. and. After being there for a few years, I realized I really wanted to do more in the entertainment space, and I felt like if I was going to do that, I needed to be in Los Angeles as opposed to New York. And so that's when I decided to make the switch and um, and relocate out here. And one thing for me was... Um, You know, I took, I think, one entertainment law class in in law school, but it was really more focused on music, and I knew I wanted to do more in, like, TV and film. So what I did was when I moved out here to L.A., eventually I did go back to school and did kind of a truncated program at UCLA just to learn the inner workings of the TV and film industry because there were a lot of things I just didn't know, and I thought it was important to really try to understand just have a strong foundation of the industry. So did that. I um, also got a job working for Will Smith's production company. So I was doing that during the day, going to school at night, and completely changed courses when I got an opportunity to work for the Obama campaign. So I ended up leaving L.A., going back to Ohio for a bit, working for that campaign, and – eventually you know found my way back out here to LA
1: and okay, stop 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 very good I just <laughs> magically got a job with Will Smith <laughs> so, wait a second okay we are in this impossible to break into film entertainment space you just can't you just can't gloss over that back up a little bit please <laughs> tell listeners how did that all happen
2: yeah, so when, when I moved out here, I ended up there, they don't make them anymore, but there used to be these directories, um, kind of like the yellow pages. It was, there used to be like these huge like books that listed like every single production company, every single studio in Los Angeles and like the contact phone number for them and their, their website and email address. And so I remember one weekend, I just spent the entire weekend kind of going through this book and highlighting the companies I would be interested in working with. And so that following week, I literally just ended up making cold calls. And one thing about LA is is compared to New York, you know, when I would cold call these places, people were actually really friendly. Like they were like, you know, they're like, oh, hi, like, how are you? You know, in New York, they'll just kind of hang up on you. But out here, people were like open to having conversations and, you know, taking my resume. So honestly, the Will Smith um, opportunity came from a cold call for me, just cold calling his his company.
1: Okay. Is everyone listening here? Okay. <laughs> got on the phone dialing for dollars. Way to go. I love that. I mean, this is to a lot of folks who want to go into a new space. You got some further education about the industry, right? Got yourself better educated. And then, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And there was a will for you too. Wow. Okay. And so what did you do when you, you got you got the job for, for Will.
2: So I wasn't, I wasn't doing any legal work. It was more kind of script development work. So reading scripts, providing feedback, notes, helping with the development process, things like that, which was great because that was just another way for me to learn about the industry. You know, I had never even, I don't think touched a script until I moved to LA. So um, it, it was just another great entryway into learning about how, you know, the TV and film industry really works.
1: Love on the job. That's fantastic. Okay, so that's cruising along. And then how did you get into the a little political stint here?
2: So my one of my dad's really good friends went to law school with President Obama, and he was doing a lot of work. He, he was starting to do a lot of work in Ohio in terms of overseeing his campaign there and and different initiatives and programs. And so that's how that opportunity came about um, through actually, yeah, a, a family friend.
1: And did they, I, I am curious, did, did they just happen, oh, by the way, would your daughter like this? Did you let your dad know you were interested in that? I am, you know.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember all of the, kind of the way the conversation transpired. Um, but I, I, I think maybe it was both. I think mean, maybe like my dad let me know that they, there could be some opportunities and, and maybe kind of went from there. Um, and it was funny because I, a couple years prior to me going back and, and helping out with that, I remember I was, this was when I was still in law school. I went home for a summer. And this was when President Obama was running for, initially running for Congress. I remember I went home one summer and I was working at a law firm back in Cincinnati that summer and my dad came home one day and told my mom and I, he was like, oh, you know, I am going to go to this private reception for some guy named Barack Obama who's like running for Congress. Do you guys want to go? My mom and I were like, no, not really. Like, who is this guy? And my dad was like, no, I'm hearing good things about him. Like, he's running for Congress. I think you guys should come with me and my mom and I were like, we've never heard of this guy, like, no, we don't, we're, we don't really want to go, and it's so funny, because my dad ended up convincing me to go with him, and it was like this really small private dinner, and I'm so glad he did, because, you know, I got to meet Barack for the first time, and he was just like, I was completely blown away by him, and I was like, wow, so that was kind of my first experience meeting him, so when I, the opportunity came to, to work on his presidential campaign, I was like, Duh, a thousand percent, for sure.
1: Oh, so share with us, you know, the insights, the learnings, you're kind of on the inside track there, and how has it shaped your sense of, you know, of, of politics?
2: Who? Uh... that's a, I'm trying to be concise with my answer, because I had definitely learned a lot, um, and it definitely wasn't my first foray in politics. In law school, I spent a, I mean, in undergrad, I did spend a, semester working in Washington, D.C. on the Hill for a congresswoman from a black congresswoman from Ohio as well. So I had tiptoed in politics in the past, but I learned a lot. I mean, during that experience, um, just I I learned the lengths that um, different people and organizations will go to to try to prevent people from voting. I saw it firsthand. Um, I. I saw just a lot of the trickery that goes on with trying to make sure that certain people don't get elected. Um, So that's, that's a very real thing. Saw it with my own two eyes. Um, And it's just interesting. I mean, I actually ended up even during that time working the polls on election day. And it was so crazy to me. You know, I just assumed most people were, you know, voting, but I would say, you know, I worked in a, poll location that was a predominantly black location, predominantly low income, and I would say maybe 80% of the people who came in to vote that day said that was their first time ever voting, and they said they just had never met, you know, they had just never come across a candidate that they thought was worthy of, like, even going to the polls, like Barack Obama was the first person they had ever encountered that they felt was worth even going to the polls for. Um, so it was just it, it was just a very like eye opening experience kind of across the board.
1: Wow, that is such a gift to have had that, you know. And, and I know you'll continue, but to have that early on as some perspective uh, as you continue to chart your journey. Wow. So, uh, did you think about pursuing, uh, you know, post election? time in politics. I'm just curious how you think about that for yourself, if that's something that's off there that maybe you would go back to, or you're like, I did a stint and now I really want to focus on private sector.
2: Um, it's something maybe eventually I would go back to, and it was something I was definitely interested in beforehand. You know, when I was younger and I was thinking about becoming a lawyer, politician was also kind of in that mix. Um in high school, I, I was like class president for several years and voted most likely to be president of the United States as my senior superlative. So politics was always kind of in the back of my head throughout high school, even college. Um, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's something eventually I would go back to. Or I don't think right now. I think the political landscape is just
1: a little little
2: too crazy for my taste right now, but um, maybe eventually one day.
1: Yeah, well, there's lots of runway, lots of runway for you. Okay, so you're back out uh, in L.A., so take us, pick up the story there.
2: So, uh, right, so eventually I I do make it back out here, um, and I was a little bit at a crossroads with regards to my career. Do I go try to work for a firm? Do I go work for another production company? Do I start my own practice? And I – eventually decided to start my own practice focusing on TV and film um, and intellectual property. So I did that. I At that point, I, I had a pretty strong understanding of the industry, but as I mentioned, I didn't have a strong understanding of entrepreneurship. <laughs> so it took a couple of years to really kind of find my footing with regards to that. Um, and, yeah, it just it just took a while, a lot of trial and error to to get there. And eventually after practicing for a while, I decided to also get into adjunct teaching um and got a position working at UCLA as an adjunct professor. Another opportunity that came through a cold email that I sent out um and so that ended up turning into a position uh teaching there and so I've been doing that as well and um Yeah, that's kind of a a very short, (laughs) short outline of of how I I got to where I am right now.
1: Well, uh, I am blown away by the sheer um, proactive, you know, (laughs) pick up the pen, type on the computer, and I love it. I (laughs) love it. such an
2: advocate of it. You just never know. Yeah,
1: it's really fantastic. And I'm really taking your, you know, your Gosh, you have so much runway ahead. You've already done a lot, Jaya. Your presence, your you know, using your voice, having a sense of self. Was it always this way for you? You're just kind of like that's just you, or did you did you ever overcome se- self doubt? Take us through you know if if there were conversations within that at times you were kind of wondering what am I doing. <laughs>
2: For sure. I mean, I have those conversations today. <laughs> I think I have them pretty regularly. Um, I think when I when I first moved out here, I was like, "What am I doing?" When I started my own practice, I was like, "What am I doing?" Um, a couple years ago, I started another company called Diverse Representation, and I've had times where I'm like, "What am I doing?" So. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of an ongoing. I mean that that happens all the time. I, I, you know, I'm never like a thousand percent confident with regards to everything I do. I don't know if any entrepreneur is. I think mean, there are always moments of self doubt um, or questioning if you made the right decision or the right move, because there's just no safety net with regards to entrepreneurship. So there are always kind of concerns and questions that you're constantly grappling with. Um, So, no, I've not always just been like, oh, I got this. I have had doubts. I have doubts currently, and I'm sure I will moving forward.
1: So who do you turn to? Who are some of the folks in the inner circle, or how do you um, work through, you know, the questions and the unknowns?
2: Sure. So I definitely work a lot through a lot of it with my parents. Um, They are my best friends. So I talk through a lot of issues with them and concerns with them, and they're great and amazing. So those are kind of the two main people I talk through a lot of things with. And I have a really, really good friend in D.C. He's also a lawyer slash entrepreneur as well, that I talk through a lot of things um, also. And I think it's – I think one reason that I'm able to just kind of talk through a lot of these questions with him is because he's in the same predicament you know, as an entrepreneur, there are just some things you're you're going to understand from a fellow entrepreneur, as opposed to someone who isn't on that path. And so he has a similar um, similar trajectory where I'm able to bounce off a lot of ideas from him and talk through a lot of things. Also,
1: fantastic. So you kind of gloss. Oh, by the way, this little diverse representation thing. So. <laughs> i going to call you out once again, share with us, you know, how did that come to be? What is it? Sure. So Diverse
2: Representation, it's about two years old, and it is a company focused on increasing the hiring and exposure of black agents, attorneys, managers, and publicists in the sports and entertainment industry. What I was finding was that there were a lot of conversations out here with regards to diversity and entertainment. But I felt like a lot of those conversations were very one-sided and very narrow, primarily focusing on the faces we see on screen, the faces we see on TV or in film. But we weren't really having any conversations about the people behind the scenes, you know, the agents, the attorneys, the managers, and that space is still very much a white space. Um, And so I wanted to start broadening that conversation and talking about the fact that, you know, why aren't a lot of, you know, these A-list superstars represented by black attorneys or black agents? You know, let's start having these conversations. And so um, I started to ask a lot of people in the industry on the talent side why they didn't have any black representation. And a lot of them would say, well, I don't know any. I don't know any black agents. I don't know any black publicists. And so I decided to just start a website that listed all of the black agents, all of the black publicists, all of the black managers. So no one could use that as an excuse anymore. Ignorance really just couldn't you know, be an excuse anymore as to why you didn't have black folks at your company or on your team. Here's a free resource. Here's a free database that lists everybody. Um, and so that's really what it started off as. And it's kind of grown into different
1: programming and events um, and and things like that over the two years. So this is so wonderful. Talk to me. Was it all tailwinds? Like everyone was like, way to go. This is awesome. And if I just have the list, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm like, don't quite think it was that breezy. So, you know, give us a little of the inside scoop here.
2: Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, like, the bulk of people are like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like, why hasn't a directory like this existed before? But there were definitely people who, you know, had, had you know, negative commentary about it. You know, there were some people who said, why is the list only for black people? Why don't you include other people of color on your list? Um, there were some people who said, you know, race shouldn't matter. People should just hire who they think is best for the job. You know, so, yeah, I mean, there was definitely – Commentary. There was definitely, um, you know, someone's always gonna have something to say. So that definitely happened.
1: And how you've mentioned it's evolved a bit. So what's your vision for for what you've seeded here?
2: Sure. So um, eventually, I well, currently working on. Right now, just lives on a website, and currently working on developing greater technology for it so we're working on an app right now that will allow talent to more easily interact with reps um whether that's ask questions whether that's um you know share information so more you know i kind of want to create this app that's more for one stop shop for folks around the country to be able to just tap into resources Um, and eventually, honestly, I would love for it to even broaden into other industries. You know, right now it's focused on sports and entertainment, but I would love to, to even broaden that, you know, so there is a directory for black attorneys in other industries, you know, maybe tech and, and things like that. So um, th- those are some of the, the plans for the future.
1: Nice. Nice. So this show, you know, the, the ethos of it is the whole Say It Skillfully. So I'd love to hear, you know, f- Folks ask, I know you value all, right? And you're focused on the black folks in this diverse representation. So how do you answer them when they say, well, how come you're not, you know, including X, Y, Z? I'd love to hear how you handle that.
2: Sure. So I say, you know, at some point, you know, that's not something that's off the table. Um, But right now I, you know, I can't be everything to everyone. And so, you know, with limited resources, my primary focus is black reps and the, the divide in terms of, I mean, black people were still so far down on the totem pole, even compared to other races within this industry that, like, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think that that's where I want my focus to lie. And if other people want to create other databases focused on other cultures, you know, if I can be a resource to help them in any way, I definitely can. But with, because I only have so so much limited time and resources available to me, like right now my primary focus as a black woman is to help other black people in this space.
1: Beautiful. Very skillfully said, as we would expect. talk to me about, you know, I I know you've got a a close uh, compadre that you seek. Um, Do you have a community of other black female entrepreneurs? I am just curious um, if at all you've had, you know, involvement with women's groups, a lot of folks, I know a lot of women who find a lot of benefit from that sort of thing. Um, I've had kind of my own fair share from fits and starts. Uh, just curious about your experience.
2: I don't. I mean, I, I definitely have some other black women friends who are entrepreneurs as well. Um, and so we are able to like bounce ideas off each other and, and talk to each other about different issues. But I wouldn't say I, I'm a part of a, kind of like an organized group or um community per se. And, you know, maybe I should be. I'm sure that would definitely be helpful. But as of right now, no, I am not and, and haven't been actually.
1: Well, I'm so blown away by um, your, <laughs> you just, you frankly, haven't needed it. You're like, well, I'm just going to pick up the phone <laughs> and make it all happen for myself. You're just like spectacular. Uh, I am would like to go back a little bit to the UCLA piece and the teaching from how you view, and I, you know, I have like Molly Inc. I think of Jaya Inc, right? All these things (laughs) that you do. Um, How does the teaching part fit in for you? Like, you know, kind of what is it that you get out of it? And, um, um, and basically, you know, what are you, what are you giving to it? I'm I'm curious about that piece.
2: Sure, definitely. So, And honestly, now it's becoming even harder to juggle that, you know, with everything else I have going on. When I initially started doing it, I didn't have as much on my plate. So I was able to honestly give it a lot more than what I'm able to do now, unfortunately. But, you know, as I mentioned, I did have a positive experience in law school. But one thing I will say about law school is that, you know, in terms of what I use today I mean, I probably used about 5% of what I actually learned in law school. Um, I, I did not find it a lot of the information to be practical. You know, we're spending a lot of time studying cases from, like, the 1920s and, you know, laws that are outdated. And we – law school teaches you a lot about, like, the theories of law, but not a lot of – they don't teach a lot about the practical application of, of the law. And so that's something that I wanted to do differently, like, because I just – yeah, I mean, and most people I know who are lawyers, they just don't use any of what they learned in law school. It's just not really even practical in your day-to-day. And so what I wanted to do was create classes and, and share information that students can really use once they graduate, you know. Um, so, you know, one of the classes I teach is a copyright law class. And one of the first things we do is I teach them how to actually register a copyright. And that's something I never learned in law school. I mean, I took a copyright law law class in law school, and all we did was learn about the law, but we never actually filed a copyright, you know, it's like, well, that's kind of the big thing you need to know, you know, so, (laughs) and another class I teach is how to actually start a law practice, because that's something else that I felt like I was missing from law school, like, you know, what if students do want to start a law practice, like, a lot of them aren't going to know the steps that it takes to do that, and so that's, that was kind of my big thing, just wanting to share information that I felt like students could use once they graduate in the real world.
1: Yeah. I love, love, love it. The practical part. And just, you know, for all of our listeners, clearly we have someone here who is willing to be the change she wants to see in the world. And boy, if everyone just did that a little bit more, you know, we would be in a whole different place. So kudos to you for that, Jaya. Um, let's segue a bit. Cause you know, the whole say it skillfully I'm, imagining that either you have or you've seen people have uh, tough conversations that maybe they haven't been quite as skillful. Uh, so I'm kind of curious if you have a few tough, um, challenging conversations or scenarios that we could go through.
2: Um, and would these be conversations that I'm kind of starting or conversations that are kind of being brought from like a third party.
1: I think there would be conversations that you would want to have, but it also can be a conversation you see someone else trying to have, but maybe it's not going so well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You see those pretty often. Um, So I know one conversation that I have struggled with and that I actually have not had um, just because I don't want to seem like I'm overstepping, but I do have like a lot of younger attorneys um who are just starting out or maybe like recent grads who are also you know fellow fellow black attorneys um looking to get in this space and you know i definitely think they're qualified they're asking me for advice on different things um but there there there's some things that are are outside of of just kind of like the professional side, but the personal side that I kind of want to tell them that they need to work on or change, but I just feel like it's overstepping. So I just don't really even go there, but I want to, for instance, there's this one woman, she's a new, York, new attorney, um, great, like great personality, um, you know, and she's asked me for advice a few times and um, to make some introductions for her. And I've been hesitant to do that just because, you know, if you Google this attorney, if you go to her, like, social media page, it's, like, just nothing but, like, bikini photos. And I kind of wanted to tell her, you know, either you need to put that on private or, you know, you need to take it off. But it's, like, I don't want to overstep, you know. So it's kind of conversations like that where I have issues not saying things to people because I don't want to feel like I'm overstepping.
1: I love it. This is perfect. And you and everyone who's listening can relate to this. This is a very normal thing that happens. I really appreciate your bringing it up for us to tackle. Um, And I I think it starts obviously with ourselves. And I know you're like, "Eh, I don't want to overstep my bounds. Totally understandable. Um, I know that you're someone who wants to serve and help others. And if you could imagine, gosh, if I were doing something that wasn't really serving my career, God, I really hope that someone would tell me. Um. So putting yourself in someone else's shoes, even though it may not be the funnest conversation, you could start to realize like, wow, well, if I don't say something, right, this person's never going to know. So yeah. and that wouldn't be okay. So I would offer that as, if you will, a driver for change, like to actually have the conversation. Um, and then I think, you know, especially in a mentoring role, right? You're a bit more senior, a bit more seasoned. Um, I think helping a person appreciate um, that, in life there's two facets to kind of any job. There is the task part and can Mm -hmm. you do the job? Do you have the expertise? Um, And the data shows it's actually the relationship part that's actually underpins the highest performance. So the how you move through space. Part um, is, is really, really important. So whether that's we'll talk about the bikini photos in a second, but you know in terms of sometimes people are very argumentative, for example, or they don't listen well and yeah. behavioral kinds of things. So I think once you start to just outline, both sides are very important and it's the relationship part that really matters. And then especially for folks you may not see a lot of, it's easy it's, it's helpful just to say, you know I haven't worked a lot with you, but from my experience, what I see are and lay out what are some of the things that you don't think serve the person and the impact. So if one doesn't listen, it, you know, it, the other person may not feel like they're respected and that can be a problem. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, but you start to leave the door open for that. And that, you know, obviously you wouldn't want to disrespect someone, right? Oh, no, I wouldn't. Well, we have to be aware that sometimes, you know, we're saying things that aren't landing the way we think. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a way to help someone realize it's your particular experience. And then, and Jen, this next step is, you know, for me, when I, you know, recommend people, I, I tend to have very direct experience with them or not, you know, whatever your, your, um, criteria are. And so mm-hmm. you want to feel comfortable and you might say, you know, I only recommend people that I've really had a chance to work with. I think you're a really nice person. Um, or I am happy to make a connection to someone as an acquaintance because I just don't know you that well. All, all above board, right? Just being upfront about it so that um, the person knows where you're at and, and you don't feel like you're caught in a situation that you don't want to be in. So I'll pause for a second mm. on that. How's that landing?
2: Yeah, I think that's
1: great. I love that. Okay. Now on the bikini person. <laughs> so I think this is a be a big sister kind of conversation. So, hey, you know, um, I noticed your social media feed has X, Y, or Z. hmm Right and have say, Yeah yeah. And so uh, I'm kind of curious what you know what you're thinking when you put that up. And not in a judging, snarking way, you know, I'm just wondering what you thought. And they may be like, What? I said, Oh, so the you can start to realize maybe they were just clueless and they had no clue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things in this virtual e-world is that everything out there informs your brand. Everything. Totally. Right? So, And then you can say, so listen, I think it's a great bikini and I think it's super you go to the beach. You know, I um, have to say that I think a lot of folks professionally might not respond that way. Mm, okay, and I think that I'd hate for people to not appreciate that you are smart and this and that and the other because they're making a judgment, and you know it's it's not it's really their their prerogative to create a judgment on that. You're giving them information that I think may not really serve how you want to be first known by people in a professional context. So, you know, and, so, and, so, and then you can say, so just see how that person responds. I could see that and or not. And say so, you know, and, and I have to be honest with you, for me, I would be actually uncomfortable because for me, that's not something that would land for me. I wouldn't have, um, mm. you know, that kind of personal information. I think you're a really good person and it's absolutely your call, but that's just um, how I think about it.
2: That's great. I love that. Okay. I'm definitely going to take that. <laughs> So i going to take that approach. Um, I think that's great. Because it's something I've been sense. thinking about for a while, and I'm like, I don't really, you know, yeah, I don't and, really know how to approach this.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate bringing it up because I think a lot of people can relate. Again, the, the number one thing I help folks when they start to have these conversations is appreciating that the own, our own energy that we arrived at the conversation with before we've said even one word says a lot. So that, right. So that you're sitting up tall, you're calm, you're feeling um, positive and you're curious. You're not judging, Mm -hmm. you're curious. And then you let that roll and you're just letting see what comes up and you work with it all in service for this person. And obviously you're learning too. So that's so true. Right. I think a lot of times we feel like, well, oh, so I'm now I'm insecure and I'm gonna talk a little faster or I'm gonna like hunch over because I'm so uncomfortable that I have to have the car. None of that really serves <laughs> the conversation, right? <laughs> so let's go back to you because I am, you know, you're obviously on such a great trajectory here. And um, for all of our listeners have heard me, you know, we're we when we're a leader. You know, we've got to continue to grow to create headroom for those around us. You know, organizations don't grow just because all the employees have to grow. It's because the leaders have to grow too. So um, I have two questions. And the first one is when you think about what it means to lead, what you've observed, right, and you've seen many different sectors, what, what are some of the things that you would like to see in leaders going forward that you're not see- that you haven't been seeing to date?
2: Mm, A lot of different things. Um, I think one thing that makes you a really good leader is to be a good listener um, and to really take in what, whether it's your employees or coworkers or whoever, whatever is bothering them, whatever they want to have conversations about, to really be open to listening to them and taking the information in. And not really not letting it go in one year and out the other, but really processing it and and taking it all in. I think being a good listener is key. I think being open to, to change, I think is is great too. I, you know I've seen some really ineffective leaders who are just so stuck on their way. you know it has to be this way or just. In no way. And, and I just think that's an ineffective way to lead. I think you have to be open to change. I think you have to be flexible. I think you have to be, I mean, just generally open-minded to a, a new way of doing things. I think that really is a good sign of good leadership. Um, I think also being empathetic um, to whoever, you know, whoever the people or whoever it is you're leading to really – being open to understanding them and, and what they're doing and kind of what's going on with them and showing empathy, I think is really important as well. And also I think being a really good leader is also about being about the people, you know, and not, and not being a narcissist, not just making it all about yourself. I think that's a really important thing. Um, trait as well. So I would say those are probably the four most important characteristics, I would say.
1: That's great. I appreciate that. When you think about your own growth, and I I get that you are very self-critical, I get it. But is there a particular thing that you're working on right now, Jaya, that you want um, to, if you will, grow in or develop in so that uh, you can evolve to fulfill your own potential?
2: One thing that I'm working on right now that I've started working on during this COVID period is I've, this is the most I've ever delegated (laughs) in my life. And over the past couple of months, I have hired a handful of more people, brought some more people on my team. And I'm really just trying to do a much better job of delegating. You know, this time last year, I was literally doing everything. It was a one-man show for not necessarily my law practice. I've always had a small team for that, but even diverse representation. I was creating the flyers, coming up with events, updating the website, like all these things that I am not even really equipped to do. And I am not an expert in half those things, but I was literally doing it all. And this year, I started bringing people on board to do all of that because the thing is, if I do everything by myself, I'm going to wear myself thin and completely, I'm not going to be my best self to really be able to oversee the high level things that I need to oversee. And so that's what I've started doing this year, this summer, delegating a lot more stuff and it's been great. Still not A plus at it yet because I, I do micromanage a little bit and I need to chill out on that. But um, that's just been really, really helpful. And I think the more I do that, the more I let the reins go of certain things and trust other people to get it done, the more effective I can be in terms of accomplishing other goals that I want to accomplish.
1: I love the awareness. And um, as listeners have heard me say, but I'll say again, as you amp up your self-awareness, you want to amp up your self-compassion so you also don't get too hard, too hard on yourself, but you're on a good trajectory with that. Um, as we're wrapping here, you know, I know you mentioned the listening, but in terms of the racial equity and, and helping you know, bring people together, is there something you'd like our listeners to consider, something that they might be able to do uh, to move us all forward in a world where we can be more unified, uh, where we can better understand each other?
2: Definitely. So I think one thing that is important moving forward is... I would like to see is is more action being taken, and and you know I don't have a one size fits all approach because we're all different, we're all in different you know um, careers, and we all live in different cities. So you know I, I can say well this is kind of the overarching thing we all should do, but I I will say, and this can look different. This can look different for different people. I think just taking some type of action. Um, and I, you know, I can't say what that action is for everybody would be helpful. Um, I think one thing that I've seen that, that isn't helpful is that, um, I think it's, I think with regards to racial inequities, I think there's a lot of talking around it. You know, there are a lot of, you know, social media posts about it and conversations about it. And the thing is, at this point, we all know that it exists. You know, so this is nothing new. We all know what the problem is at this point. So now I think it's time to start acting towards solutions. And what those, what your contribution can be to that solution may vary. But that's what I would like to start seeing more of. solutions and action. Um, I think we've had enough conversations. I think we've seen enough social media posts. I think now's the time for everyone to figure out what type of action they can take to help really move things forward.
1: I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. Uh, I have two more questions. One question is, um, what's the biggest compliment someone could give
0: you?
2: Ooh, (laughs) I think that's a good question. I don't know. Um, Maybe, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments, maybe that they admire the work that I'm doing or that they feel like what I'm doing is actually helping people
1: nice that's great you're there you're there to serve and I love that Um, so as we wrap here I uh, am really so grateful that you're willing to open up and just share you know what life has been for you to date and I know there's much more ahead what was it like for you to share this you know kind of out loud and put it into the universe
2: it was It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I didn't know what to expect. Usually, most of the interviews I do are just very professional. You know, it's just very, like, tell us about copyright law. Um, So this was, you know, had a very different slant to it. So it felt good to just kind of, like, talk about, you know, um, talk about these things and not just solely focus on, like, the professional. Um, But, yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was great.
1: Well, I appreciate you, and you know how to reach me. You're a very, very inspiring bright light. And I, for one, feel much more <laughs> confident that we're going to get there sooner than later uh, with people like you. So um, I really thank you for joining the show. and um, here to help you any way that I can, and I thank you for being part of the solution, Jaya.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Ah, such, such, such a bright light. Uh, so two reminders, uh, more help for you. And my website, sayitskillfully.com. Um, and if you would like on future shows, we'd love to have you call in and ask your challenging conversation or situation. And that number is 866-472-5790 or International Collect, uh, country code one 480 And my thought for the week, your difference is your strength. Embrace it and lead the way for others to embrace it too. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show and amplify Jaya's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data, and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.bililt40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please, challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem.
0: Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter.